welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on this Tuesday, May 19th. And today on the show, we're revealing our Do Not Draft teams for the 2020 season. We've already put together our all-star fantasy rosters with who we were targeting at each position. Now it's time to do the exact opposite. Pocket aces. Adam Azer is here with us. He is returning back to the show. And Adam, knowing who not to draft is probably just as important in knowing who to draft. So how do you normally go about figuring out players that you should avoid in fantasy baseball? Easier question to answer now that I had to make this team of players I'm not going to draft. Well, was last season an outlier? This is not an automatic, you know, no, but that's one way to start. Most importantly, I think, is can you get equal value later in the draft? You know, are you, are you making a mistake in ADP, basically? And this is a head-to-head points exercise we're, exercise we're doing. So if that's the case, is plate discipline a problem? That's another thing you can look at. So, you know, what does the player have to fall back on if – Statistically, he doesn't have a great season. If the plate, you know, if like let's say the home run to fly ball rate's low or something, and he regresses in steals like a Whitney Field, guys who have better plate discipline have a safer profile in, in that format. So for me, was last season an outlier? Can you get equal value later in drafts? I'm saying the word value funny. And is the plate discipline a problem? Those were the three, I think, common themes that I looked at in the players I was avoiding. All seem fair points here especially with the head-to-head points roster. Chris and Scott are also here. What's going on, fellas? How are you guys doing? Good. I'm good. Do you want to know what I looked at? Sure. What do you got, Scott? No. Um, (laughs) Fine. So let me just preface it by saying, of course, for the right price, I'm willing to draft anybody, which means the, the biggest factor for me is where they tend to go. And whether or not I think it's worth it, which is kind of what Adam mentioned. It's, a question of do I think the downside is too great at the place they're going or do I think the upside is too low at the place they're going? Like I'm going to be able to find somebody comparable later. And uh, and that's basically it. Okay. So basically <laughs> my second thing that I said, the, can you get the v- value later? Yeah, yeah I, I think value the word that Adam said weird to start the show apparently uh, is what we should focus on here because when I sent you guys the uh, rundown last night, I said I would focus more on players you wouldn't draft at their current cost because, as Scott mentioned, and I think it's a fair point, I think everybody has a price, and you reference this a lot, Scott, with last year when it came to Clayton Kershaw that it went too far the other way to the point where he became a value. So I would agree with that where – There's a a price that you are willing to pay for any player. So I I would like to focus more so on the cost that we're paying for said players this upcoming season. And that's the reason why we're typically avoiding said players. We haven't heard from Chris yet. Let's just kind of jump right in because typically when we construct these teams, we spend a lot of time at each position. So I want to jump right in uh, with the catcher position. And Chris, who is the catcher that you are avoiding here in the 2020 fantasy baseball season? So one of the things I will say to preface all of this is as the fantasy baseball community as a whole gets sharper, it becomes a lot harder to do exercises like this. Uh, It's easy to find guys I like. It's a lot harder to find guys who are just like seemingly blatantly poorly priced. And there are a few, but catcher's actually a position, I think, where it's pretty hard to come up with a good answer. So the one I came up with was Will Smith, uh, who has a 160.2 ADP, um, which actually seems pretty reasonable, except he's a six catcher off the board. Uh, and I like Will Smith, but it's not necessarily a profile that is super conducive to fantasy. It's a good walk rate, probably low batting average, some pop. Um, and that's all well and good, but it, it doesn't feel like, you know, a top tier or second tier catcher. I think there's a lot being put into 
Uh, his age, although he's not super young, uh, I think he's 25 or 26. And there is not, uh, and I think there's probably too much being put into the, the power surge he had in the majors last season. I don't, I don't think the power profiles in question. He, he's actually my choice too. I just think that's all he brings to the table. And there's so much batting average downside because of how much he strikes out because of how much he sells out for power, his fly ball, his fly ball tendencies are so extreme. Like he's going to be a low, low, low BABIP guy that uh, I'm not sure. Like he's kind of the sixth catcher off the board because nobody else deserves to be the sixth yeah. catcher off the board. There's a clear top five in my mind. And then there's Will Smith. And so like, you end up pay- paying a premium there that he doesn't necessarily deserve and it, he may end up he's just as droppable i feel like as any of the guys you draft behind him well like, what are the chances he's mike zanino it's yeah. non-zero it's you know zero. i certainly wouldn't expect him to be mike zanino bad in batting average um but it's within the realm of possibility and it's that kind of profile yeah, the profile reminds me a lot of Reese Hoskins, which we'll get into a little bit later on, except he does make harder contact than someone like Reese Hoskins. So let's just go around and reveal who else you guys have at the catcher position. Scott had Will Smith. Chris had Will Smith. Adam, who is a catcher that you're avoiding this season? If you look at CBS ADP, it's very different than Fantasy Pros ADP, but I'm looking at CBS head-to-head, points league ADP, and, and nobody's taking Christian Vasquez. Uh, he's going very late. I don't, I'm not sure I really buy that. But in fantasy pros, he's the ninth, ninth nice. catcher off the board. So um, Vasquez for me, I just again outlier season. I don't think he's anything special. He might play a lot. Ron Renicky talked about playing him a lot, but he's going ahead of Chris, of Carson Kelly in uh, fantasy pros ADP, and that's ridiculous for a guy who had a pretty lousy career before last year. I'm not taking Christian Vasquez. Yeah, let's go, Adam. I also have All Christian right. Vasquez. You know, where did the 2019 come from last year? 23 home runs randomly broke out uh, before 2019. He had 10 home runs in 999 plate appearances uh, and never really showed that ty- type of upside before. Uh, never had a hot home run to fly ball rate higher than 6.8%. Last season, that number jumped to 16%. So might be uh, might have been helped a little bit by the juiced ball. Again, we're going to construct a head-to-head points roster, so one catcher, one infield position, uh, one of each infield position, three outfielders, utility, five starting pitchers, and relief pitcher. At first base, I mentioned the name already, Reese Hoskins. Scott, that is someone that you are avoiding at the first base position. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I guess this is kind of a trend in my rankings, too. If a player... As prevalent as power is right now, if I feel like that's basically all somebody is providing, like he's going to be a liability in batting average, he's a zero in steals, I'm generally not fond of him. He'd have to come at a real discount for me to be. And I don't feel like Hoskins is being discounted enough for a uh, a pretty awful season that maybe he'll bounce back from to a degree, but like he's he's not going to be an asset in batting average. We have enough of a track record now to know that and like I compare him to uh um you know even somebody like Carlos Santana who who goes later in roto leagues and I don't think they're that far apart in head-to-head either because Hoskins walks a lot too but Santana has a much more stable track record he doesn't strike out much I, I just feel like I know what I'm getting there more and uh it's comparable enough that I don't like the, the go where they're going is comparable, so I don't well, really ever have a need to even consider taking Reese Hoskins. But this is a points league ex- exercise, right? No, oh, not necessarily. Well, we're using it's the head-to-head head roster. roster. All right, Fair roster enough. construction. Because I, I think Hoskins is a pretty good discount in points leagues. He was he was twenty first in Roto last year, and he was thirteenth in points. And his batting average stunk, but he still had like a three sixty OBP. So I think he's. I actually think you, if he just has a good year at the plate. With the, as much as Hoskins walks, I think he could be a, a great pick in points leagues. Where is he I, being drafted in points leagues? Out of curiosity. Yeah, like 120th or something like that. Well, I meant at the position since yeah, he said he's 13th. Well, <laughs> I got it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, like 15th, 16th, something, okay. you know, ahead of just ahead of Edward Encarnacion after. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 15th ish. I, I do like think Ron there's Hall. an. 
you know, it's it's kind of a low. It's it's like it's like the Mike Zunino scenario for Will Smith. I do think there's a chance Reese Hoskins, uh, if he keeps doing what he did the last four months of last season, they're just looking to replace him midseason. Now, the the thing about that, um, like if if Reese Hoskins does what he did the last four months of last season, he's not going to be fantasy relevant. Really, there's going to be no reason to have him on your roster. Uh, right. He did rework his swing this offseason. Um, you know, f- from what I understand, the goal was to kind of quiet his setup and, and get his hands uh, into position quicker. And the thing with Reese Hoskins is that pretty much everything you look at last season, I actually just wrote about him uh, for a piece I'm doing on players who need to make adjustments for 2020. And for him, it's just like he had the highest average launch angle in baseball but it was only like one or two degrees higher than Mike Trout. Now, obviously it is always unfair to compare anyone to Mike Trout, who is, you know, the. He hits the ball a lot harder. Than he's he just, well, but also <laughs> Mike Trout is the best hitter in baseball. He's one of the best yeah. hitters of all time. He's the best he's everything. Basically, he's basically a perfect hitter. And if you look at, yeah. but if you look at the distribution of their launch angles for Trout, it's a lot in the like 18 to 20 degree range. And for Hoskins, it's, some in the 5% range, some in the 15% range, a lot in the 30% range, and then a lot in the 60 or degree and a lot in the 60 degree range. And so what that tells you is, first of all, why average launch angle uh, has flaws, but also he was just, his swing was broken. And if he fixes it, I think he can be a good player. His, his distribution, like he was, Line drive, ground ball, fly ball. That's basically what we're talking about when we talk about distribution kind of, of launch angle. Kind of, but what I don't want to get too bogged down in, but basically <laughs> line drive, fly ball, and ground ball, that's three buckets that are very wide. Like a fly ball is like anything from 22 degrees to a pop up straight up, 90 degrees or whatever. Yeah, 90 degrees. So. Like there's a really large spread. And so like a 40, 245 degree, 245% fly ball rates won't necessarily be the same either. Chris, I'm going to assume that Reese Hoskins is not your pick. If you want to he is not. reveal that quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I haven't drafted Reese Hoskins yet, but I'm, I'm interested in it. For me, it's Pete Alonzo. Um, and for a lot of the reasons that, that Scott said for Reese Hoskins, obviously Pete Alonzo is a much better player, but he basically stands out as a home run hitter and that's it. RBI and runs, obviously he was good in last year, but that'll happen when you hit 53 home runs. Um, I don't think there's any way he hits. I mean, I don't think there was any way he was going to hit 50 home runs again in a 162 game season. It is possible that he hits 25 in 81 games because 81 games, weird things can happen, but I would bet on him being more like a 40 homer guy. You know, he's not necessarily like this huge outlier in, in exit velocity like Aaron Judge. Um, and so if he's more like a 40 home run guy and he hits 260, I'd rather just wait on Matt Olson. I'd rather just find my power with Fran Reyes, someone we talk a lot about. Um, ultimately, it just comes down to if you're if you draw most of your value from hitting home runs, I hate, I'm not going to pay a premium for you this year. Yeah, and that's what you have to do for Pete Alonso. ADP right now is 26, so he's an early yeah. third-round pick, and I definitely agree with that one. I also have uh, Paul Goldschmidt, someone we've talked a lot about, so I'm not going to get into it, but the plate discipline starting to slip a little bit, and he was pretty bad for four out of the six months last year. He was below average. Uh, Adam, first baseman, who you're avoiding? Yes, I love picking players that other people on this podcast like a lot. So Jose Abreu oh, is my first baseman tramp stamp. Take that. I'm also there with you. He had oh, 123 RBIs last year. And, and his lineup got better. And he was only the number 10 first baseman in points leagues because he doesn't really stand out in point. So I thought this was a points league exercise. So <laughs> but, I but no, but, the, but I, I, I think it's. I would be more interested in him in Roto because he can give you a, a respectable batting average, but, uh, but he's just not a standout player and that's the bottom line. Yeah. I think the point still stands for, for Roto. Now he was better. I think he was 66th 
uh, or he was eighth, eighth in yeah, Roto. I think he was eighth in Roto. Like eighth in Roto while leading the majors in RBI. Right, that's right, exactly. not a great sign. That's because um, he's not going to hit 124 RBI again. That the the lineup is better, um, but never say never, it, Chris. It did. It's not the Red Sox lineup. It's not the Yankees lineup. Um, it's pretty good he lineup. Does have a, he does have an approach that uh, that does tailor itself to higher than expected RBI totals. But he was 14th among qualified first baseman in OPS last season. He is. Yeah very close to being just a guy as an overall hitter and he's 32 years old or 33 i think at a points league he is but you can pretty much pencil him in for 290 30 100 you know and that's it's pretty valuable um, in Roto. unless yeah. he slips which is entirely possible slips, at his age i i think people don't realize how old Jose Abreu is because he was 27 or 28 when he made his debut. Yeah. He'll be 33. He's, if he's not 33 already. And yeah. He, you know, he's, he I turned just, 33 in January. We don't, the thing is we Happy just don't day. see any, we don't see any signs of slipping. I mean, his stack cast numbers were the best that they've been in his career. So I guess it could, it can happen to anybody, but the fact, if we're just looking based on data, there's nothing that shows that he's, you know, close to slipping. It's kind of the same reason why we draft Justin Verlander as high as we do, because there's really nothing that shows us that he's getting ready sure. to but decline. No, but Justin Verlander wins you leagues. Jose Abreu... Jose Abreu is, doesn't lose you leagues. Fine. Right. He, he's, doesn't, he's, he doesn't lose you leagues. Yeah, uh, I, I like him. The deeper the format, the more I like Jose Abreu. He's better in but, Roto, for sure. There's yeah, no doubt about that. In a shallower that. format, where you don't have to start a corner infielder, you only have three outfielders, even if it's categories, even if it's Roto, if it's just like 10 or 12 teams. I don't love him because I think you really want difference makers there. And to me, he's not that. But in a deeper league, he's very dependable. And I think that's more valuable in deeper leagues. All right. So we've already done what we, we weren't supposed to do. We spend, spent about 10 minutes on first base. So we have to... We did? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, we have to condense second base a little bit more here. Adam, why don't you get us started? Who's a second Wait, baseman? Wait, did you give us your first baseman? Mine is Paul Goldschmidt. I kind of just slipped yeah, it in okay. there. We've yeah, talked, we talked about, about Goldschmidt a lot. A lot. Uh, and his plate discipline starting to slip. I don't really trust the Cardinals lineup, uh, but I think Pete Alonso is probably second up for me. He's, he's one that I'm more than likely not going to own on any of my teams. Adam, second base. Who's someone you're avoiding here? Well, I feel bad because everything I did was points leagues. Uh, That's Whitney fine. Field was my answer. <laughs> I'm definitely not avoiding him in roto leagues, but in points no. leagues, I'm avoiding. No, him. I think you I can think... avoid him everywhere. I have him yeah. as my outfielder. I, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't steal, he's not. He's not going to be, he's not going to be very valuable. And he said he didn't steal because the Royals were out of contention, and they're going to be out of yeah. contention this year. So <laughs> you season. probably need thirty from him to feel good about the pick. Uh, well, I guess I, I haven't fifteen from yet. him. <laughs> like they might not be season. out of, they might not oh, yeah. be out of contention until the season's halfway done. I get that's kind of true. <laughs> that's and a it good wouldn't point. surprise me to see like. I'm sure there are better examples, but the one that always stands out in my mind was the Nationals the first year they were in Washington. I think it was 2004, 2005. Uh, I think they were like in first place in the NL East at the All-Star break, and Chad Cordero was somehow an All-Star, and then they faded. But, you know, half seasons, the, the standings can look weird. Uh, well, I, then I, <laughs> I'm not avoiding him in Roto, but I'm definitely avoiding Merrifield in points because it, he doesn't, like, he was the number one second baseman in points leagues in 2018, but with that same fantasy point total, he would have been number six in uh, in 2019. And it's not like he increased his home runs, you know, like everybody else did. So um, he's just, he's he's a jag in points leagues, basically. Boo, get rid of him. He's one of my outfielders. I'll, I'll just mention it now. Stolen bases went from 45 to 20 last season. Sprint speed has decreased three seasons in a row. He was caught stealing 10 times last year. In the second half, his OPS went from 850 to 761. He started hitting more ground balls. He made less contact. I am out. Whit Merrifield's ADP nice. right now, 47.2. Do not do it regardless of format. Uh, Scott, second base, who are you avoiding? I'm going with Eduardo Escobar here of the Diamondbacks, who is might be the one, the one guy who exploded in what we deem the middle of his career last year, who I'm not in on <laughs> because he, uh, I, I don't see the changes to the batted ball profile that, that uh, explain the surge in power. The expected stats don't back up the actual stats. I think his most likely production is more like what Ryan McMahon 
gave you last year, at least in, t- in terms of the five by five categories, he might have more doubles than McMahon had last year. But, uh, you know, he's being drafted like Mike Moustakis. I don't think he's Mike Moustakis. He's been a top 12 third baseman and a top 10 second baseman two years in a row, though. I, uh, I don't really know what to do with that. Is he? Because he hit a ton of doubles. He had 48 yeah. doubles in 2018. Well, so did you not hear me address the doubles but in my little... Uh, is he not? I mean, is he really like he, he was he's been top 12 two years in a row. I don't know how much of a breakout. I, it was obviously a breakout at age 30, but he was pretty good at age 29, too. What Was he a top 12 in five by five production two years in a row? According to our Roto standout uh, standings, yes. He was ninth at second base and twelfth at third maybe base. I'm just bad at this, Adam, but I no, don't want him. I, I, I don't draft him either. I'm just saying, <laughs> okay. like he's Yeah, no, I he went from twenty three homers to thirty three, right? Or do I even am I even thirty five. Right? Thirty five. Yep. Yeah, it was it was an insane number of home runs. Yeah, for for me it's like um like the scene in Mad Men where uh I can't remember the guy's name. Ginshu? No. What's his name? Never Ginsburg. Ginsburg, I believe, tells Don Draper, something like "I hate you," and Don Draper's like, "I don't even think about you." I don't. That's I don't kind think of how I either, feel. But... That's kind of how I feel about Eduardo Escobar. It's not. I don't dislike him. I just like. I never even consider the possibility of drafting him. Same, but I just don't know why. He's a good points league player. That that's one thing I'll add. You know, in the the Tout Wars head-to-head points format, the the auction that we did, they have a middle infielder and a corner infielder. And I drafted him to be my middle infielder for like five or six bucks. But he is a better points league player. Even if some of those home runs come down, I think those will go back to being doubles. Or right. I, I guess and potentially he had 10 outs, triples last year. Yeah. That, I don't think you can bank on that for Eduardo Escobar. No, but he's an extra base hit guy. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, Chris, quickly, uh, who's your second baseman that you are not drafting this season? Uh, this is kind of a weird one because he's going so low. But Gavin Lux, uh, 156.8. I did a I mock just... draft with you where you drafted him. All right. Maybe I'm a liar then. Was it an NL only? No. I I don't remember ever taking him in a mixed league. I I just, uh, fine. I think it was a Roto league where you got him super late. It was right. Like, but that's right. That's what we talked about. Uh, I just, he's being drafted in the kind of middle infielder range and playing on a team that has shown, uh, no qualms about, making their top prospects platoon players if they think it helps them win. I think Gavin Lux is most likely to be a platoon player this season. And uh, I don't want that for my middle infield spot. Yeah, the second baseman for me that I am not drafting, uh, basically because of costs, is Jose Altuve. Uh, 32.2 ADP. He's the second second baseman off the board behind Glaber Torres. And he's going ahead of guys like Ozzy Albies and Cattell Marte. And I like... Both of those players more than Altuve. I'm just worried about the injuries. And you're going to notice a theme here with the players I'm avoiding. A lot of them are or have been injury prone the past couple of seasons. And I think in the shorter season, again, those injuries are going to be amplified. They're going to affect you more in a shorter season. So someone like Altuve, I will be avoiding this upcoming season at that ADP cost in the third round. Third Should I base, just yell at you about Giancarlo Stanton now or do we want to say? I actually later? don't have Stanton on the list. So... Surprisingly enough, but uh, I know somebody who does. Scott, you have Chris Bryant as your third baseman that you're avoiding. So, yeah, join the club. For me, I have him as my third baseman. It's mainly because of the price. I mean, his ADP is 45. It's I just don't think that he has the upside to compete with some of the other names that are going around this range. Unless you think of him as injury prone, I think he's pretty high floor. Like In terms of performance, he's going to give you useful must-start production. But I feel like he's at the start of a very big tier that goes all the way up to number 15 at the position. Like I have him and Josh Donaldson in the same tier, and that's my number six and number 15 third baseman. So there's just no reason to pay up for the top guy in in a same tier. It's, you know, he's long gone before I'm usually looking to fill third base. Or either I drafted, you know, one of the super stud third basemen's and third baseman in round one or two. Chris Bryant last year among qualified hitters, his thirty-five point eight percent hard contact rate was tied for one hundred and ninth in baseball with Jackie Bradley Jr. Doesn't sound great. Eighty-seven point four mile per hour average exit velocity was below league average 
246 expected batting average. He's someone that typically overperforms his expected stats, but those things just give me some pause. The injuries uh, and the fact that he just doesn't have as much upside as other players uh, is the reason why I am avoiding Chris Bryant this season. Adam, who's a third baseman that you are not drafting in 2020? Get mad at me, tramp stamp. It's Rafael Devers. Because I usually draft pitchers in the third round, I find, quite often. And if I'm going to take a hitter instead of a pitcher in the early rounds, I have to be so convinced that he is an elite hitter, number one. And number two, he's probably not going to play... Well, I wouldn't say that because I would take some other third baseman. But I was going to say he's probably not going to play the deepest position. And that's the thing with Devers. I still have some doubts. I want to see one more year of him being an elite hitter before I am convinced that he is that. He's still not great against left-handed hitter, uh, left-handed pitchers. I, I'm guaranteeing the counting stats, 115 RBIs and 129 runs are coming down. Um, so I just think that he could take a little bit of a step back and he plays the deepest position. And I like to take pitchers in the third round, not Rafael Devers. What I, what I will say in response to that is, you want one more season of elite production from him, uh, you can get him in the third round right now. Yeah, this if he, is the last. This might be the last season you can get him outside of the I first. Know, but I, that's like a good I point. Said, I mean, I, I take pitchers there, so I really need to be very convinced, and I'm not quite there with Devers. Chris, who's a third baseman that you are not drafting in 2020? Um, I'm assuming it's the guy Frank, uh, Scott has at shortstop, Manny Machado. It is. And, mm. I mean, I think... We've kind of beat that one uh, again, but he's just been amazingly pedestrian since leaving the Orioles. And uh, it's not, you know, usually I think you can kind of explain away some of the home road splits when guys play in really good hitters parks or really bad hitters parks. But in his case, he's basically since leaving the Orioles for the Dodgers in the middle of the 2018 season, He's basically been the same guy he had always been playing away from Camden Yards. And so you have Manny Machado at Camden Yards, who is an absolute superstar. And then you have Manny Machado away from Camden Yards, who looks like Mike Moustakis. Yeah. Well, Scott, you could transition us into shortstop and build off Machado if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Mike Moustakis is a fair comp, though Mike Moustakis in Cincinnati versus... Manny Machado in San Diego. I'm I'm not so sure Mustakis doesn't come well, out. Well, Mustakis was in Milwaukee last year, so yeah, I know. I'm not expecting any improvement. Um, yeah, I mean Chris Chris pretty much summed it up, honestly. Just you know, it home away splits. You know, maybe they don't say a ton on their own, but when a guy leaves that home and starts performing exactly like he did on the road all those years, it it, it pretty much tells the story there. And then when you consider he's always had such a low line drive rate, you you really it, it's really easy to piece together the puzzle there and see okay, he's his overall production was so reliant on the long ball, which is now harder to get in these bigger stadiums. And when you know he, he's just getting a lot more outs. Um, yeah, it's pulling his numbers down. It's something that I've referenced before with Machado, but last year he was hit by a pitch on his arm on August 8th. And before that hit by pitch, he was hitting 272 with a 494 slug. His career, he's a 279 with 483 slug. After that hit by pitch, he yeah, hit but his, 213 his, with a 375 slug the rest of the way, which really pulled his numbers down. So, right, but the pre numbers weren't studly is yeah. the point like 494 slugging percentage 270 batting average for a guy who's eligible at the two deepest positions in fantasy i mean i'm, I'm not saying he's bad he's perfectly fine starter but it's just not know, dissimilar from what he's done in the past i guess is the point but right. unless but everybody else when, comparing, when you compare it to his career numbers remember he started at like 1920 and in yeah. the first few years of his career he wasn't hitting for much power so he's not it's not really fair to compare it to the rest of his career yeah he had a breakout just... a few years in like 272, 490 slug, that's probably what I expect from Matt Chapman. Right. And he's going 30 spots later. It's not that dissimilar from what I expect from, I don't know, I could name another guy, but the point is. No, it's not that good. Plus, like, you need to be better than what you had been previously in your career in 2019 because everybody was better. But there's something about Machado that we don't talk about a lot, and that is his counting stats. His RBIs and his runs have been so low lately. And that is like, I don't really get it. 
85 RBIs and 81 runs for a guy who played 156 games. And it's been like that, I think, kind of year after year for like three years in a row. 81, 84, and 81 runs last three years. And not not quite that with the RBIs. I'm wrong about that. But um, but 85 RBIs, like it's really bad. And I feel like that could get better. And it needs to get better because he doesn't steal anymore. So that, you know, like I mentioned with Jose Abreu having a, a game that is geared towards racking up RBI, what I meant by that was he puts the ball in play a lot, especially for a guy who hits for the kind of power he does. Uh, and he, he just generally has a high average, doesn't have a lot of unproductive outs, doesn't have a lot of pop-ups, doesn't have a lot of weak grounders. Uh, Machado is a more extreme hitter. You know, he strikes out more. He what was his strikeout rate last year? It was like twenty six percent or something, wasn't it? It was nineteen percent, which was a career um, high for him. But he is a low line drive rate, yeah. uh, which means I still that think he's... the runs were low. No matter what, I think the runs were low for a guy who hit thirty two home runs. He, he played a hundred. His on base percentage games. was pretty low, though. What yeah, I'll say about two, two of the past three years, his on base percentage has been below three forty. Runs and runs and RBI are correlated to the lineup that you're in, though. Yeah. So, I mean, I expect to a certain extent, yes. I expect the Padres lineup to be better this year than it was last year and probably better than it has been in a while if assuming Fernando Tatis can stay healthy. They traded for Tommy Pham. Those are two players right atop the lineup who you expect to hit in front of Manny Machado. I hear all the points that you guys are saying and a lot of people have referenced how bad he's been since he's left Camden. I can't dispute that. The numbers are what they are. I'm giving him a pass for last year. I think it's first year, you know, mega contract. Uh, right, he struggled against right-handed pitching, which is something that he had never done before. He was seeing pitchers that he didn't regularly see ever before, and the Padres lineup is improved. So, for all those reasons, uh, I expect you know if he hits 275 with a you know let's say he gets back to a 500 slug and in a full season hit 35 home runs with close to let's say 90 runs and 100 RBIs with eight to 10 steals, I think that's a really really productive player that you're getting in the fifth or sixth round. That's probably where that kind of player would deserve to go, though, especially at third base. Yeah. Well, we got to move on from Machado. Um, Adam, was he your pick for shortstop as someone you're avoiding? No. All right. Who you got? Shot at, I'm taking a shot at Scott White here. Oh, boy. I'm taking Marcus Simeon. Uh-oh. Mm. I look, everything about what he did last year, except for the RBIs, I'd say, in the like, well, the 123 runs, 92 RBIs. I think he batted leadoff, but he... He slugged 702 with runners in scoring position. So that was not legit. But if you're going to have a breakout, what Simeon did is pretty legit. I mean, his his plate discipline was so much better. And that had been, uh, now his walk rate's been better, or his K rate's been better two straight years. His walk rate had gotten better, I think, starting uh, late in 2018. So I understand why people would like Marcus Simeon. I just think it was too late for me, too late in his career for me to think that he became a different player. It was too good to be true. And I'm just not taking him, especially because I like Carlos Correa about 500 times more and their ADPs are going to be pretty similar. Uh, so no Simeon for me. Speaking of Carlos Correa, he is the shortstop that I am not drafting this season. 101. Why do you hate the, you cannot be so upset about the Astros stealing signs and robbing the Yankees that you're not taking Altuve or you're not taking Correa. Plus, the Yankees stole signs, too. It comes back to the injuries, <laughs> and Correa has not played more than 110 games each of the past three seasons. He's dealt with core injuries, injuries to his back, and these are things that I think are going to continue to linger, and they will hurt you more in a shortened season. So he's the 15th shortstop off the board. It's a deep position again. And you're telling me in Roto, he's going ahead of Tim Anderson. I'd rather have Tim Anderson. And even in a points league, he's going 35 picks ahead of Corey Seager. So if I can get Corey Seager three rounds later, why would I take Carlos Correa? Because he, be he could be the best shortstop in baseball. He could be the best hitting shortstop in baseball. Or he Frankie. can play 40 games in an 82-game season. Y'all play scary. Frankie, he's already missed his 80 games, baby. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, I think the injury concerns, especially in his case, uh, because there have been a series of recurring injuries. You know, it's it's not just like, oh, he hurt his calf, then he hurt his elbow. You know, he's had a couple of back injuries, that, and that's especially concerning. Um, but I don't know. if He's so good that if there weren't injury concerns, he's probably where Glaber Torres is. He's probably a top 30 pick. 
Doesn't um, steal. Doesn't steal bases anymore. Right, but neither yeah. does Glaber. No, it's it's fair. It's just what does he control? If he's Glaber's dra- being drafted as a second baseman, that's part of it. Like there's right. Sure. Shortstop is one of th- shortstop and okay. third baseman are really Fine. the two positions where like. It feels if, wrong to rank somebody low, but you have if, to pick somebody to rank that low. If there were no injury concerns, I would say 75% of this podcast, at least, would take him over Manny Machado. I'd take him over Glaber Torres. Hey, I'm just going to point this out. Correa, 277 career batting average, 489 slug. Sounds a lot like Manny Machado. Sure, sure. But, <laughs> but you're getting him later. I get it. One And one of those was a really bad year. Like he's been, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like eight seventy five, I think three out of the four and two of the or four three out of the five, eight eleven one year seven twenty eight. But two of the last three, he's been nine twenty six OPS or better. Um, he's the man. I just I just really don't think good. he can. You're gonna regret it. I, I just don't think he can stay healthy. That's what it comes down to. Did, did Chris me. give us his shortstop yet? Yeah, Chris, Fernando who's your shortstop? Tatis. Who is it? Fernando Tatis. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to expand? I mean, it's pretty self explanatory. We've talked about it but yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of like what uh adam said with rafael devers except rafael devers mostly earned all the production that he had last year it didn't look like a fluke in fernando tatis's case it was really high strikeout rate really really high babbit one of the highest babbits in baseball history uh and he's got injury concerns of his own. He dealt with a hamstring issue last year that ended his season. He had a back issue uh, as well. Did the back issue or the hamstring issue end his season? It was one of them. I think it was the hamstring. I think hamstring. But like that, those are two injuries you don't want to see from a 19-year-old player, especially a back. Uh, you know, Because as we've seen with Carlos Correa, that was the one that, that has recurred. And it was the back so, that ended the season. Okay. Yeah, it was the the hamstring in the summer. Um, yep. That to me, like there there are questions about whether he can stay healthy. There are questions about whether what he did last year was for real. I don't want to bet against the talent. I think he will be a worth a first round pick at some point. I just didn't see enough from him in year one to expect it in year two, and you're getting close to paying that price it's not quite a first round pick the one point of pushback i'll have for you chris is similar to what you said to adam about devers yeah is if tatis lives up to his expectation this is the last time you're getting him 100 percent. yeah like he could potentially be a top three pick next year yeah. around like ronald acuna if he i think he has the upside to do something like ronald acuna so that's the last point of pushback but i see what you're saying because he's going higher than someone like Rafael Devers this season. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at outfielders and then the pitchers we are avoiding here in 2020. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562 562- 
314-4603 for complete details. All right, we're back here, and we're going to jump into the outfield position now where you got to give three outfielders. But, guys, we'll only focus on, you know, maybe the one outfielder you want to talk about more than the others. Adam, you know, who are the outfielders that you're avoiding this year? But who's the who's really the main one? Who's the one that you see him come up in the draft and you're like, nope, not doing it? I'll tell you the three that I picked, and you can give me that you can assign me one. Uh, Starling Marte, regardless of format, Danny Santana, Victor Robles. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Victor Robles. <laughs> like the the most laughable hard contact rate in baseball and mostly hit seventh to ninth last year. So I don't think there are going to be a lot of plate appearances for Victor Robles. Um, and the steel, like obviously you need steals. Yeah, go for it in Roto. But um, I, 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 need it, like, I need to see him be a good hitter before I invest a, a mid-round pick in Victor Robles. He's not really a mid-round pick. He's like a top 100 pick. So hopefully I don't need him uh, to fill out steals. Because basically that's all I'm drafting him for. Victor Robles ADP right now is 77.4. He is the 21st outfielder off the board. Last year, despite the hard contact being 24.9%, uh, hit 255 with 17 home runs and 28 steals. Isn't there something to be said for... I mean, that's a pretty good season, his first, you know, full season in the bigs. You should expect him to build off that, no, Adam? Like, if he if he yeah, can get I to mean, 20 I homers, think, 30 steals, even with a 260 batting average, that's probably worth where he's being drafted. Uh, yeah, but he was the number 29 outfielder in points leagues, in Roto, and played 155 games. That's fine. Uh, I, I Like, I don't hate it because he could be Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers was coming off a horrible season, and then he he busted out. Big time, but I don't know. There's nothing in the underlying stats that make me think that he's going to do that. Scott, who are the three outfielders you are mainly avoiding in 2020? So, Giancarlo Stanton's on this list. I don't want to talk about him. Chris, shake my <laughs> Tom, head. Tommy Pham and Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi, are, Benintendi, Benintendi. Are the three on my list. I have Benintendi um, on mine as well, so. Now, Tommy Pham is interesting because what I was going to say about Adam with Robles is I, I'm to the point where in a in a rotisserie league, a 5 by 5 categories league, I don't feel like I'm capable of putting a base stealer on my I will draft him under no circumstances list because there are so few guys you can bank on for a usable number of stolen bases. So it, you just, even if you don't like the hitter profile, like with Robles, you just kind of have to hold your nose and do it. But mm-hmm. in Fam's case, I think I'm not confident in really anything he does. Um, you know, the venue change doesn't help with that, but also he's dealing with a, some UCL damage in his elbow. Also his, Ground ball rate has been rising each of the last few years, which is not the thing you want to see rising in today's environment. He, he kind of has an Eric Hosmer uh, situation with the ground ball rate now. So I, 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 he was 21-25 last year, home runs and stolen bases. You know, just because of his age, because of his, um, you know, questions about how much he's going to get on base because of how well he's going to hit in his new environment. I, I just don't know. Like, steals may be the most bankable thing for him, but it's, you know, 20 or so we're talking about. And then I don't know what direction the home runs and batting average is going to go from here because it's just not an optimized batting, batted ball profile for today's environment. Chris, who are a few outfielders that you are avoiding here in 2020? Has anyone mentioned any outfielders to this point that you are avoiding? Yeah, Benintendi. I just don't um, like he's a he's a fine player for fantasy, but he's got to improve a lot just to be a good pick where he's at. And he's another guy whose swing just seems kind of messed up. Um, you know, he started trying to hit for more power, and it just kind of seemed to ruin him. Uh, the other two guys are a little more highly ranked. One I won't expand on because Frank has already taken enough abuse today uh but i don't like eloy jimenez at 59.6 overall at all um i could take all the abuse baby keep it, it coming. just seems it seems one like yes there's the prospect pedigree but also he had one good month last season and it's like 
oh, well, the first five months really didn't matter. And again, like he's someone who could be a second or third rounder next year. The, the potential there is, is absolutely immense, but he wasn't anywhere close to even being worth this last season. So it's really, it's paying for a breakout. Um, and it's not even like, if he just has a good season for him, he'll be an okay value here. He needs to like, like hitting this value would probably be like a 75th or 80th percentile outcome for Eloy Jimenez. I would say Eloy Jimenez, his ADP right now is 59.6. So he's bordering on a fifth, sixth round player. Probably it's weird to say, cause you would, I would think he's a better Roto player than points. Cause he doesn't walk all that much, but all he really provides is power. The thing is, he can provide power without hurting your batting average, Chris, based on, well, you know, yeah, his, no. in his, theory, he was like a 260 hitter last year, though. So it's Aloy Jimenez being drafted under the presumption of a breakout that hasn't happened yet. I mean, you're, you're, you're just trusting that it happened that yeah. last six weeks uh, and that he's going to sustain, sustain something close to that pace for a full season. Because if you just take the full season line, I mean, no, no. Well, he's not I even disagree. a top 100 player. Unless I have his stats wrong. But what, like, do I have his stats wrong? 267, 31 homers and 122 games? No, that's right. But I think and it was that's like- really good. For a rookie, 122 games hit 31 homers while hitting 267. I mean, that's tremendous. The Where thing is, he's he being ranked? drafted in the top 60. And you look at some of the players being drafted behind him who are already studs. And it's like, why like does Stanton. this guy get this kind of benefit of the doubt? Like who? Well, let me pull up the ADP. But I mean, So going just it. behind him is Joey Gallo. I mean, Stanton. Stanton. Yeah, sure. uh, Solaire. Let's, let's make a no Stanton. You Darvish, Matt Olson. No, outfielders, I would say. Okay. Or hitters. Hitters. Okay. Um, I mean, I trust Matt Olson more. I trust Max Muncy more. Yohan Moncada, everybody seems to think he's a stud now. None of them. I don't think any of them are like bona fide studs, though. Joey Gallo's probably going to hit what's 15 the, more homers here, and one. hit what's, 220. What's the argument for Eloy Jimenez going 37 picks ahead of Marcelo Zuna? No, I like I like Ozuna. I mean, Scott kind of got me on that train that Ozuna is one of the better values. Right, right, but but that's that's still what's happening. Like Marcelo Ozuna is still early. going three rounds later than him, and it's it's because you can people are projecting the upside on Eloy Jimenez, and that makes sense. But like Marcelo Ozuna did that in 2017. Marcelo Marcelo Ozuna in 2017 was what you're hoping Eloy Jimenez can become. I mean, really, at his ceiling. But but, uh, but yeah. Marcelo Zuna also has more seasons of not doing that. Yeah, like, is that the outright? But he has more seasons total. I, so, I Jor- know, but there's... What, what's what's the best there. case scenario for Jimenez? It, what Jorge Soler did last year? Jorge Soler is going 30 picks later. And he I actually he did a, it last another, year. He's going 20 picks late, uh, 25 picks. But another guy who's had a lot of bad in his career. I'm, I'm basically playing devil's advocate right now. But, it's fine not to like Jorge Soler. I get that. But why does yeah. he not get the benefit of the doubt and Aloy Jimenez well, does when one of them has come Jimenez, closer to this theoretical stat line we're aiming for? But wasn't Jimenez a better prospect? And I mean, 267 was pretty close. 267 with 31 home runs in 122 games as a rookie. Jorge Soler did not do that. I mean, that's 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 fair. Awesome. That's and, fair. Yeah. And I, I don't take Jimenez there either, but I see why people do. It's a young man's game, and you're trying to get the breakout, you know, before it happens. It's a little pricey, but I think one, like I think 12 picks later, I'd be fine with it if he were going 72nd overall instead of 60. Yeah, he, he's a guy like I've taken Luis Robert, uh, who's going around 100, and, and even that feels a little expensive for me. But I haven't even Aloy is another guy who I really haven't even thought about drafting this year, and. That's not to say that the breakout can't or won't happen. Uh, it certainly can. It's just it's an awfully high price to pay to bet yeah. on it. I've never I've never been that guy who says, okay, this is how good I think somebody could potentially be. So that's the point I'm going to draft them at. Like, definitely want 
particularly in an environment like now where like offense is everywhere. <laughs> you keep having to find artificial reasons to downgrade people. Yeah. This seems like a natural reason to downgrade a guy. What's the, but I just think that he, well, the potential, like he, he could be a really second good last year. He could be a second or third round pick. It's not like Vladimir Guerrero where you're, it's take, not you're, that different. No, it's, it's the same different. He had it's, a much better year than Vlad. It's actually, I was going to use Vlad as, as the example, cause they're going back to back. Vlad is going 58.8. And Eloy is going 59.6. They're going back-to-back in ADP. And it's really just, we say this a lot about last year with Devers, and that's kind of why we, I think, some of these prospects get, or former top prospects get pushed up the board. It's the blind faith pick. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, and again, something that Chris mentioned today. It's, these are, this might be the last time you can get these guys this late. Because if Eloy Jimenez does <clears throat> what I think he can do, if he hits, you know, 280 to 290 with... 40 home runs or, you know, that would be his pace over the course of a full season, then this is the last time you're going to get him as like a fifth, sixth round pick. And I think the same thing could be said for Vlad, where what if Vlad puts together an Anthony Rendon type season? It's not out of the realm of possibility. That's why the ADP gets pushed up for some of these former top prospects. And I don't mind where Eloy goes because the difference between him and other power hitting outfielders is that I think he has the ability to be a batting average contributor based on his you know, 311 batting average in the minors. I think he can, you know, get up to, you know, a 280 or 290 hitter, which would actually help you in, in today's game. And I, would I say, think that, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, Chris. I just think that you don't want to take too many of those types of guys, but I'm sure. fine with you taking one. You know, it's it's fun to gamble on players like that, and they could really pay off. And if, they, if they're a bust in the sixth round, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, and, and, like, it's not to say that they're going to be a total bust. Like, they could just be fine. So I'm Ooh, fine with, a good one. with taking Nelson, one gamble. Nelson Cruz, 81st I mean, overall. Josh Nelson Bell, Cruz is yeah, Nelson Cruz overall. is being completely like that is just the blind faith that he's gonna fall off because he should be on the merits, on his merits as a player alone, without taking into account uh his age, he should probably be a borderline first round. But he's yeah. DH only. So there's this sure, maybe he should be a second rounder. There's this <laughs> this whole sequence of hitters beginning at 81 Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, Marcus Simeon, Jorge Soler, Jeff McNeil because he's a second baseman, Nick Castellanos. Like, yeah, but I Castellanos, like a good point. You could Castellanos find is the guy who I think has very similar upside to Eloy Jimenez. And so I would rather just wait for him. Yeah, I don't think and he has the power. I don't think he has the power upside. I think the batting Ooh. average. I think, I think he can he hit two. I think he can hit two eighty plus. Oh, I, I but, mean, I think, I think he could hit three ten. I I made a comparison in, in Breakouts two point which is gonna whenever this new season is announced, uh, Breakouts two will come out. I think Nick Castellanos in Cincinnati profiles to be a little like Nolan Arenado, Frank. Oh, I. I said J.D. Martinez last year. That's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been waiting for it to happen. I still feel like we have that Nick Castellanos 300 batting average, 30-plus home run season coming. It's just, again, like we've said it for so long. Now is the time where it should happen. He did it more than Eloy Jimenez did last year. But I have to point something out with Castellanos because while I agree and I'm excited to take him, especially, you know, in like the 10th round, um, He's not like JT Realmuto, where every year Realmuto was bad at home and amazing on the road. Sure. He typically was better or just as good at home. 2019, when you look at what he did at Comerica, he was really bad. He had a 715 OPS. But the three years before that, it was 813, 871, and 893. He was not a guy who really stunk at Comerica sure. Park. So I, I just need to point that out. It's not a Realmuto example. Sure. Yeah. I, I just think his skill set and his swing in particular are incredibly well suited for the great American ballpark. I have to leave Frank. I have to get out of here for that's, more important things. That's per- wow. well, there's nothing more important than fantasy <laughs> baseball today, Adam, but we know that you're leaving. That's all good. We're going to save the pitchers for tomorrow's show so that, um, I don't even know if Adam's going to be here, but hopefully he is. And then I will. <laughs> he can talk about the pitchers he is not drafting in 2020. Uh, but I'm just going to wrap things up with mentioning my outfielders. I have Benintendi as well. Seems like he's always kind of going to be um, not hit the value we expect because he plays in Fenway. I think it's just really tough for him there. 
He's he's a weird one because he actually made strides against left-handed pitching last year, but started striking out more. He only hit 13 home runs with the juice ball, so just a really weird player in Benintendi. Whip Merrifield I spoke about earlier. Uh, Aaron Judge is the last one, and we've talked about this a little bit with more news coming out. He wasn't expected to be ready until the summertime with this fractured rib injury. I just don't think that he's going to be healthy. Basically, all it wouldn't strike me. It wouldn't surprise me at all if this is just a lost season for Aaron Judge altogether. Forty six point six ADP, still being drafted as the sixteenth outfielder off the board, ahead of names like Eloy Jimenez and Jorge Soler. Uh, so I do worry about him. And even before that, he's he, he has a little bit of Pete Alonso as well, where. The stats that he provides are things that you can get later. The batting average will be better than Pete Alonso, but I thought that he was kind of overvalued anyway, just because it's kind of that Yankee bias. So Aaron Judge is not somebody I'm drafting. He's someone who I think if there weren't any injury concerns, he'd probably be a viable second or third rounder. It's just there are significant injury concerns, and I'll break the rule again. I don't see any reason why he should be going two rounds ahead of Giancarlo Stanton. They're very similar players, very similar skill sets, and very similar injury risks. Um, I, I also, I only gave two outfielders. Can I say my third one? Yeah, who you got? It's an incredibly off-brand for me, and it feels weird. <laughs> I don't love Joey Gallo at 72nd overall. I'm with you. Like, you talk about this is the easiest era in baseball history to find power and we shouldn't just target only power guys or power only guys. Joey Gallo is the single most power only guy in baseball. Now he is also probably the best power hitter in baseball. And, you know, last season he had an utterly absurd 644 Woba when he made, when he put the ball in play, the highest behind that out over the last two years is 568. So when he makes contact with the ball, he does unbelievable things. The problem is uh, he made contact with the ball even less than ever last year, 38% strikeout rate. And so uh, I think he's more likely to hit 220 than 250. And we were never drafting him as a top 75 pick before last year. Yeah, I, I, he made, I know. I'm and he kind made of, improvements. I'm, I'm kind of uh, – this isn't the consensus view, but I, I actually think he he's made strides with the ability to hit for average. And I'm not just penciling him for another 220 this year. I understand XBA uh, had him as only 229, and I've been citing that stat a lot more. I wonder how much of that had to do with the strikeout rate, specifically the fact it went up. But he has sold out less for fly balls, yeah. really beginning in the second half of 2018. Um, and his BABIP last year, you mentioned the quality of contact he makes. It was 368. A guy with a high high line drive rate, uh, a guy who makes really hard contact like that, 368 doesn't sound like a ridiculous BABIP to me, especially <laughs> if he can get that K rate back down to the more normal 35% range rather than 384 that it was last year. I mean, he was at like 250 before last year, right? I know, but he was he was more he sold out for right. fly balls more. It was no, it was I, more of a poor Babbitt profile, and now it's a good Babbitt profile. I so. agree, but 368 isn't happening again. Yeah, that, I mean, it, in an 82 season, it very well could happen again. But the expectation should not be. I just like I think he can be a very, I think he can be a very high Babbitt player, but a 330 yeah. would be a very high Babbitt. Yeah. Um, I don't think he can maintain 368 either. The re- the main reason for me being is that home runs don't count as balls in play. He hits so many home runs that that tends to drag down his BABIP along with the fact that last year he raised his well, line drive rate. He still hit 47% fly balls. So when those no, don't go home out, run, home runs are irrelevant to BABIP. They don't they don't drag it down. Right. Well, they don't, but they just don't count. They just don't count as balls in play. Right. You're removing a bunch of well-hit balls from the balls in play. Uh, denominator, which leaves a, in theory, a higher ratio of less well-hit balls to pull from. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Mike Trout is like a 350 Babbitt. Right, but degree. again, Mike Trout like, is I think Mike Trout's one of the best hitters in the history. <laughs> you just said the quality. You just what was that stat you gave about Joey Gallo's quality? Right, but, but again, he hits Joe, the ball crazy hard. Right, but like the, Aaron but Judge the thing is. 
Mike Trout is one of the best hitters in the history of baseball. Joey Gallo is an exceptional power hitter, maybe the best power hitter of this generation. Uh, but yeah, Giancarlo Stanton was the better version of Joey Gallo. All right, let me look at Joey Freddie Freeman's Gallo. career, Babbitt, because it's it's a similar line drive rate to what we've been seeing from Freddie Freeman over the years. So Freddie Freeman's career, Babbitt. Yeah, line drive. I, I will also I will also caution line drive rate tends to fluctuate quite a bit from year to year. It's one of the least sticky stats. Um, I do agree that his bad ball profile is more, Joey Gallo's bad ball profile is more conducive to hitting for a high, higher Babbitt than it was before. But, you know, we're talking about, like, it was like a 120-point gap between 2018 and 2019, right? Yeah, it went yeah. from 249 in 2018 yeah. to 368. And 119. Then, so, so like, let me see what it was in the second half of 2018. Cause I feel like that's when it started. I'm not going to be able to find that quickly enough. Yeah. We've got to sign yeah, off here, Scott, but if you could find it, we'll reference it. On. I know I, maybe, maybe it's just a hunch then I'm playing a hunch. I think Joey Gallo is going to be like a 240, 250 hitter going forward. There you go. Yeah. I Argument were, made. The strikeouts are, are really tough to overcome. Nearly 40% strikeout rate for Joey Gallo. We're going to save the pitchers for tomorrow for our Do Not Draft teams. For Scott, Adam, and Chris, I am Frank. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.